Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episode 40 Chapter 34 The Lair of the Diviners And Canto 20 Of Dante's Inferno The Diviners And the Fortune Tellers Hey there, everyone. Remember a couple weeks back when the show took a brief break? All because I had a cold and I was all congested and stuff. Once I was less congested, I began recording again, and actually got a few chapters ahead. But I didn't record any Aftermath episodes in that time. If you listen to the show as it drops, you've probably noticed... I haven't been around lately, and that's because, well, true to form, about a week after I got over my cold, I came down with the flu, and it completely wrecked my voice. So, since I had chapters done, but no aftermaths recorded, I found myself at a bit of a standstill. What to do, what to do keep on publishing the chapters that I'd previously recorded, and release a great big aftermath when I got all better, or wait for my voice to come back and let the show languish for a week or two. Obviously, I chose to let the show languish in that black void of an incomplete podcast feed. My voice is mostly back, so now I'm completely back. Something like that, anyway. I might sound a little horsey or vocally strained here, but just bear with me, okay? So, with all that out of the way, let's get down to business and talk about the future. Did that, did that add the proper atmosphere? I hope so, but... You know, whatever. Let's let's just get on with it. In Canto 20 of Dante's Inferno, we go to a much darker, more mystical world. One that's not populated with members of the clergy. One that's not powered by greed or entered into on grounds of violence. No, Canto 20 introduces us to... The Diviners. There are a lot of memorable moments in the Inferno, a lot of haunting passages, and a lot of disturbing imagery. For me, however, there are few moments more haunting and disturbing than the Lair of the Diviners. The denizens of this ditch are afflicted with the grotesque disfigurement of having their heads twisted 180 degrees on their bodies. They are naked, and their tears flow heavily from their eyes. This is one of the most straightforward and poetic punishments in the Inferno. Maybe not straightforward, but easiest to understand. In life, the diviners tried to look ahead and into the future. So, in death, they have their necks twisted and their heads on backward, unable to see what lies before them. 
Their eyes are full of tears, preventing them from seeing anything more than a blur. Dante doesn't interact with anyone here like he does in other cantos, but he still singles out several astrologers. Okay, I, I say this in pretty much every aftermath, and you're probably tired of hearing it, but names. I'm no good at pronouncing names, especially when it comes to ancient Italian names or names of Greek figures. Sometimes it's a miracle I can even get the names that are still current correct. Like, when I was talking about Jason and the Panderers and Seducers. What a freaking weird name that is. Jason? What is that even? So, again, I'm sorry if I mispronounce the name of this astrologer. I actually almost left it out just because I didn't want to make myself look any more foolish or sound any goofier than I already do. But to leave it out would, in fact, be a miscarriage of literary justice. And it would be an insult to Dante and his masterpiece. So just... bear with me. The big astrologer here, the chief sinner, if you will, is a man by the horribly complex name... Michael Scott. That's right, Michael Scott. Here's a brief history lesson for your next astrology-themed pub quiz. Michael Scott was born sometime around 1175, and he died sometime around 1232. He was a Scottish mathematician, hence the Scott in his name, and a scholar in the Middle Ages. He worked in Bologna and Toledo, and apparently studied quite a bit of Arabic. Scott was employed as a science advisor and court astrologer to Frederick II of the Holy Roman Empire. He was a key figure in the transmission of Islamic mathematics from Spain to the rest of Europe. I know, that's all horribly interesting. The real fun stuff to know about him is that he was so popular and renowned for his astrological skills that he was also thought of as a wizard. A wizard! If I knew anything about Harry Potter, I would make a snide joke here. But, turns out, I don't actually know anything about the Potterverse, other than J.K. Rowling seems to be kind of a... never mind. Moving on, as a science advisor and court astrologer, Michael Scott would likely have provided scientific knowledge and advice to the emperor concerning a variety of matters. His knowledge of astrology would have been invaluable, as it was believed he could make predictions based on the positions of, I don't know, like stars and planets and stuff, I guess. Look, I'm not here to pass judgment. We all know my agnosticism leaves me full of questions of where we came from and where we go or don't go from here. But I, I can admit when I'm wrong about stuff. I have a tendency to call astrology and star signs and whatnot new-aged hokum. Just hear me out. I'll, I admit it, okay? I'm wrong. You happy? I'm wrong. It's not New Age hokum after all. 
It's old-fashioned hokum. Been around forever. Will be around forever. Believe what you want and all that stuff, but you know what? I said I'm not here to pass judgment, but god damn it, I have to pass a little. Okay? Planets being lined up with stars and high tides and low tides and chakras and vibrations and crazy hypnosis to convince yourself your problems are all rooted in other people's actions and psychics and moon spirits. It's all a bunch of hokum. It was in the Middle Ages, and it still is today. Okay? And I'm kinda sorry, but... You know what? No, no, I'm I'm really not. I'm really not sorry if my lack of belief in your stuff upsets any of you regarding this, okay? If Dante's version of hell is universal, and I'm not saying it is, if his version of hell is accurate, and I'm not saying it is, then the Diviner's Ditch will be populated by all the Teal Swans and Kelly Millers and Tyler Henrys, as well as the Marshall Applewhites and Jim Joneses and David Koresh's and all the other false prophets. Okay, okay. En- enough, enough is enough. I, I get it. I'll, I'll stop rambling. Let's move on to a, a slightly different topic. Something maybe a little less mystical. Let's talk about AI. Those of you that know me know that I've long been a fan of artificial intelligence. In fact, I have another, albeit rarely updated, show that I started years ago based on the site thispersondoesnotexist.com. Short stories and profiles of people generated from well, this person does not exist dot com. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that I think it's fascinating. Whether it's generating people, cats, artwork, music, voices, or even summaries of Dante's Inferno. I've been using the Bing version of ChatGPT for the last couple of Aftermath episodes, not letting it write things for me, but helping me research. It's actually really useful and even almost magical. Technologically supernatural. I ask it for information on the Inferno. It gives me maybe a summary and some key figures. I ask it to tell me more about the key figures, and it does. Then I ask it to go back and tell me more about this or that, At times, it actually feels like I'm interviewing someone. Like I'm interviewing the internet. Crazy, I know. Anyway, all that said, I do have a handful of sites I visit for summaries, a few translations I read for each episode, and I listen to episodes of the Dante's History podcast, sometimes multiple times. One of the greatest resources is the Baylor University YouTube channel. They have an excellent 100 Days of Dante series. Each episode is about 10 minutes of pure insightfulness. All my favorite resources will be added to the Dark Days website soon, which of course is ddofdg.com. But once again, I've meandered into nothingness. 
All this talk of AI and the magical world of online resources is to say that AI is great. Sure, we can fearmonger that it will take jobs of writers. Yeah, maybe it will some. We can all be afraid that it'll steal the soul of voice artists. And to an extent, it can. And maybe will, and kind of does a little bit. But if you think for one moment it can give you the personality and nonsensical wit that I do, well, bub, you got another thing coming. And to prove it, I asked ChatGPT to write me a light-hearted and casual summary of Canto 20 of Dante's Inferno. I even asked it to include a brief history of Michael Scott. Then, I fed that summary into Eleven Labs and had a clone of my voice read it. Sure, it's more precise. It gave me the relevant information in about two seconds and provided me with about 56 seconds of audio. But does that really contain the entertainment value I bring to you every single week? Or every single week that I can actually manage to do this? Well, I think not. Well, maybe I think not. You know what? You, you go ahead and be the judge. Here's what the artificial intelligence brings to the table. And after that, I'll get into all the fun Darker Days commentary. Canto 20 of Dante's Inferno takes place in the Eighth Circle of Hell, where Dante and his guide Virgil encounter the fortune-tellers and diviners. These souls are punished by having their heads twisted backwards so that they can only see what is behind them. Among these souls is Michael Scott, a Scottish mathematician and scholar who served as a science advisor and court astrologer to Frederick II of the Holy Roman Empire. Michael Scott was born in Scotland in the late 12th century. He studied at Oxford and Paris before working in Bologna and Toledo, where he learned Arabic. He translated several works from Arabic into Latin, including works on astrology and alchemy. In this canto, Dante portrays Michael Scott as a figure who used his knowledge for personal gain rather than for the betterment of humanity. Despite this portrayal, Michael Scott remains an important figure in medieval science and scholarship. Okay, so yeah, concise, with better diction. Still, I'm proud to ramble on for whoever wants to listen. So let's get on to darker days of Dorothy Gale. In the Lair of the Diviners, I keep a lot of the imagery of Dante, but I don't single anyone out. No Kenny Kingstons, no Miss Cleos, no cult leaders and whatnots. Just diviners. Last season, I spent a lot of time talking about how I draw a lot of inspiration from the Silent Hill series of video games, mainly the first three. I love the moody atmosphere, the grotesque monsters, the tension and the terror that comes from the unknown. That inspiration kind of left when I entered into darker days. It's still there, but it's a little more below the surface, and a little less impactful. Now, this chapter, however, is full-fledged homage to Silent Hill, mixed with the obvious tribute to Dante. The darkness, the industrial atmosphere, 
the fear of the unknown. I changed the visuals of the locale from what Dante had, but I kept the visuals of the diviners nearly word for word from Dante's vision. Their heads are on backwards, their eyes overflowing with tears. Their tears run down their cheeks, down their spines, between the cracks of their buttocks, and down their legs. I gave them a voice as well, a thick accent that lends itself to the mysterious void in which they dwell. While Dante has these figures unable to see the future or what lies ahead, I opted to grant them the ability to do what their real-world counterparts could only dream of. My diviners can not only see the future, but they are confident they are correct. Okay, okay. Before we move on any farther, I just... I got, I got to say something. Here's the thing. I've watched a lot of Wizard of Oz adaptations, read a few of them, and looked into others. I pride myself on the fact that Dark Days was an adaptation that held firm to the source material. I pride myself that Darker Days holds true to its wonderful Wizard of Oz roots, and that it's a faithful adaptation of the Inferno. A lot of modern takes on Oz lore cast Dorothy as a savior by fate. It's her destiny to save this bizarre world. Not only that, but she oftentimes has a mysterious past, or her mother has some kind of connection to the land, and Dorothy must solve that mystery while making a journey of self-discovery in the process. That's fine. It's fine, okay? If that's your jam, that's your jam. I get it. I'm not here to yuck your yum on the subject of Oz. Personally, I do not like that particular story. I don't like the mysterious fate or the incredible powers of destiny at play. I don't like the quote-unquote chosen one story. I don't like the prophetic tale. I'm telling you this right now. Audrey Gale, not linked to Oz. And despite what the diviners think and say, despite what I wrote, I don't consider Dorothy to be a prophecy. Not drawn into this world by unseen forces to help save it. This isn't a story about Dorothy saving Oz. This is a story about Dorothy saving herself. Saving Oz is secondary. I know this logic is super confusing, it's super weird, and it sounds hypocritical, and maybe to a certain degree it is, but I never think of Dorothy as one with a mysterious connection to Oz. Her past is pretty well spelled out throughout this book. There's Amelia, Brian Stoltz, her mother, M, and Henry, and there's more Kansas and more Kansas characters to come. And none of those characters, and none of those chapters or situations, really have much to do with Oz. Okay, okay, I can hear you saying right now, But Tyler, 
How can you say that those characters and situations have nothing to do with Oz? You placed them in Oz and out of Oz. Amelia killed herself in Kansas and resides in the dark wood. And I'm here to tell you that those bits of history have nothing to do with fate. A lot of things Dorothy witnesses are because she's Dorothy, not because she's some kind of prophecy. Let's step back for a moment, back to the empire of King Plutus. The woodman and the scarecrow, they saw two different sets of guards. The woodman saw wolves, Mr. saw winged monkeys. Same for the pit they encountered in his tower. The woodman saw the wolves fighting, while Mr. saw the winged monkeys fighting. Step back further still, all the way back to dark days and the three doors. Mr. saw Dorothy, the seamstress, and the lion, all dead, and went on that weird adventure with the woodman. Dorothy witnesses what may or may not have been a dream about a tornado. Real? Not real? Up to you. You decide. And the lion fought off Goliaths in a hedge maze. All this is to say that many of the situations are tailored to each character's personal histories. Their own fears. Their own regrets. Their own personal damage. When people tell me something only happened because this person did this or that person did that, I tend to respond with, Sure, but if this person didn't do this, someone else would have. Steve Jobs was a visionary. I won't argue that. I would argue, though, that if he didn't create the iPhone, that smartphones would still exist. Someone else would have done it. Would they be exactly like what we have today? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe they would be worse. Maybe they would be better. If Elon Musk didn't buy Tesla, electric cars would still exist. Wouldn't they? Seems to me the world wasn't ready for the previous round of EVs, but he came in at the right time and gave them the jumpstart they needed. If not him, however, someone else. Again, better? Maybe. More affordable? Probably. Cooler looking? Definitely. Okay, okay, let's let's bring this back around full circle now, alright? If not Dorothy, then someone else. The outcome? Who knows, maybe better, maybe worse. I, I suppose that just depends on who's writing the story. But y you get the idea. The Diviners tell the Travelers what the other sisters are up to as well. Maybe their predictions are right. Maybe they aren't. Only time will tell. They claim Dorothy is some sort of a prophecy. The Chosen One. You know, all that stuff I just said I didn't like. Anyways, the Woodman asks about Gracia, and the Diviner says Gracia still exists. But she's hidden away, unseen, and possibly unaware of what's happening in the world. And it all ends with a rather cryptic warning 
and a sense of urgency. If I missed something or I failed to address something you feel I should have, or maybe I just goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno and you feel the need to let me know, it doesn't really matter. Either way, I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like the show. Not sure why you're listening if you don't. But like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. Because I believe in you. You can always catch me through the good old-fashioned email. That's darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok, where it's at DarkDorothyG. Alternately, you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, where it's at TheOrdinarySun. That's S-U-N. And, of course, if social media isn't your jam, if you're just tired of the old social media grind, there's always the official Dark Days website. That's D-D of... DG.com. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and in paperback form, but at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you'd like to show me some support, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go about it. If you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, you can always find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinarysun. That's, again, S-U-N. And if you do that, I will send you a handwritten thank you note. Complete with a fun little sketch. And if you'd like a shout-out on this obscure show, I would be happy to do that for you as well. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's totally fine. And understandable. Times be tough, they be. Suffice it to say, I'm happy to do this either way. So come back next time, hopefully soon, for Chapter 35, The Banker... William Johnson. Thanks for listening. I love you all. <laughs>